the United States remains fully committed to facilitating a lasting peace agreement. Got a funny way of showing it there, Chief. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. Me neither. I got the feeling that something ain't right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, I'm stuck in the from Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK, 90.7 FM in L.A., 98.7 FM in Santa Barbara, 93.7 FM in San Diego, 99.5 FM in Ridgecrest in China Lake, California, up in Oregon on KYAQ on the Central Coast, KAKU, I'm sorry, Queso in Cottage Grove, KAKU in Maui, Hawaii, Lancaster, Pennsylvania's WLRI, Columbus, Ohio's WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP, Grand Rapids, Michigan's WPRR, New Orleans' WHIV, Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, Seattle, Washington's KODX, Red Bluff and Redding, California's KFOI, Round Mountain, California's KKRN, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM950. KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day for your listening convenience on the internets, on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR, Revolution 99, Workforce Rising, and Detour Talk. Blanketing Planet Earth, five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com here with another thrilling edition of the Bradcast, and we are very grateful you are joining us for it. We are also grateful, very grateful indeed, to our friend Angie Coiro of In Deep Radio for doing a remarkable job filling in for us uh, over the past week during what would normally have been seen as an insane news week last week in any other era, but really... Desi Doyen, I guess it was just another week in the Trump era when it comes <laughs> yeah. down to it. Yeah, pretty much. This is this is how it's going to be. Where every yeah, every week is insane, impossible to keep up with, even for well-funded corporate news outlets, much less independent podcasters and broadcasters like ourselves trying to keep up with those things that are important enough that you need to be informed about them as our national emergency continues. To continue, and as we work to support and sustain and somehow strengthen the national institutions that we all need in order to survive this national emergency, and then hopefully begin to overcome and reverse this national emergency. Uh, also, uh, thanks to those of you who stopped by bradblog.com donate to help Desi and I fill up the Prius tank to take a few much-needed days trying to look the other direction from that national emergency. We didn't succeed, no, but, you know. <laughs> not easy at all. Didn't succeed much, uh, but we tried, and I got a few hours uh, rest here and there, so I will uh, I will take it. 
So where were we? Where were we when we left? Ah, yes. Uh, We have midterm primary elections on Tuesday in four states now. Idaho, Nebraska, Oregon, and Pennsylvania, where Democrats hope to make substantial headway in their bid to take back the U.S. House this November, but where, yes, the majority of the state still forces voters to use 100% unverifiable touchscreen voting systems to do so. That's in uh, Pennsylvania. And we've got uh, quite a bit of uh, key news regarding the integrity, security, and transparency of our elections all over uh, the country. That's coming up in a bit uh, that you might not have heard about much elsewhere. And so with all the noise and the madness coming out of this administration and the coverage of it, that all tends to obscure the very things that, frankly, we need to keep the closest eye on as we move towards this November's crucial midterms and that fight to wrest one or both chambers of Congress from the dangerous, corrupt, radical, far-right, not conservative at all, frankly, Republicans who have overwhelmed both chambers along with the White House and all of our executive agencies in the bargain. So we'll get to some of that that you might not have heard about and that, uh, well, we couldn't cover last week. But anyway, before that... First, uh, or maybe I should say along those lines, in just one of today's reminders of why returning competent control in Washington, D.C. is so vitally crucial right now, the headlines early on Monday could not have been more dissonant and striking and yet predictable, really, at the same time. In The New York Times, the headline read, quote, at least 41 Palestinians killed in protests As U.S. opens Jerusalem embassy, that headline side by side with one from AP, the the AP headline, U.S.-Israeli delegations begin festive opening ceremony for new U.S. embassy in Jerusalem. Yes, both of those things were going on at the same time today. The event itself The opening of this uh, new embassy in Jerusalem couldn't have been more dissonant as it was opened by Dallas Pastor Robert Jeffress, former Republican presidential candidate, now U.S. Senate, Senate candidate in Utah, Mitt Romney, slammed the selection of Jeffress for this particular event. According to AP, former Republican presidential candidate, turned Republican U.S. Senate candidate this year in Utah, Mitt Romney denounced the choice of a, quote, religious bigot to deliver the blessing at the uh, the opening of the U.S. Embassy in Jerusalem today. Pastor Robert Jeffress, leader of a Dallas-based Baptist church and a spiritual advisor to President Donald Trump, delivered a blessing on Monday at the opening ceremony for the controversially relocated embassy in Israel. Jeffress has drawn criticism for calling Islam and Mormonism, quote, a a heresy, 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 Heresy. a heresy from the pit of hell. Yep, that's what he said. But it wasn't just uh, Muslims uh, and Islam that he's taken shots at in the past. He also said Jews, quote, cannot be saved. So Donald Trump selected that guy to kick off the inauguration of the new embassy in Jerusalem. Brilliant. What could possibly be more respectful of your hosts of the Muslim religion and the Jewish religion? There's, uh, yeah, harmony for you. He he hates both of them. (laughs) 
So see, we can all get along. Romney, uh, in response, took to Twitter on Sunday night to charge that, quote, such a religious bigot should not be given the giving the prayer that opens the United States embassy in Jerusalem. Pastor Robert Jeffress responded today to say it's sad that Romney lashed out at him ahead of the inauguration of the U.S. Embassy, saying that, quote, I think it's sad that Mitt feels the need to lash out in anger on such a historic day, but it's not going to overshadow what is happening here, he said. But he notably did not backtrack on any of his comments that he's previously oh, made. Oh, no backtracking. These boys never backtrack or apologize or anything along those lines. But on that point, uh, Jeffress was correct. What is or at least hopefully should overshadow Monday's embassy opening uh, the fact uh, that Israel, it was overshadowed. Israel has now reportedly shot or killed nearly 2,000 Palestinian protesters as of airtime today, actually more than that, reportedly. AP's earlier headline, U.S.-Israeli delegations begin festive opening ceremony for new U.S. embassy in Jerusalem. That was later changed to the more appropriate Trump and AIDS celebrate Jerusalem embassy as border burns. President Donald Trump and his top aides on Monday hailed the opening of the new U.S. embassy in Jerusalem as a, quote, great day. A position that roiled the Arab world and fueled deadly protests along the Israeli-Palestinian border. The move ends, at least for now, America's chances of becoming a neutral peace broker in the Middle East, according to AP and pretty much everyone else in the world. And while the approach was swiftly condemned by Muslim world leaders and many others, including the EU and Russia, among others, Trump's new policy appeases a powerful pro-Israel lobby within the Republican Party. I should add that lobby, uh, while they may be pro-Israel, they are not necessarily pro-Jew, as Pastor Jeffress' comments condemning Judaism and Jews should make abundantly clear. Jeffress made the remarks cited by Romney during a 2011 speech at the right-wing Republican Values Voters Summit. And in a tweet today, Jeffress attempted to defend his incredibly offensive view that, quote, salvation is through faith in Christ alone. He said historic Christianity has taught for 2000 years that salvation is through faith in Christ alone. The fact that I, along with tens of millions of evangelical Christians around the world, continue to espouse that belief is neither bigoted nor newsworthy. Jeffress said in his tweet before he helped open to uh, help to open the uh, new, US, U, new U.S. embassy in Jerusalem. Um, well, as a Jew, I find that to be incredibly offensive, to be frank. I've heard it before from other people. Uh, yeah, it is offensive. Attending the ceremony on Monday was Republican megadonor Sheldon Adelson of Nevada. Also attending was Trump's daughter, Ivanka, her husband, Jared Kushner, who both work as senior White House aides. The relocation of the U.S. Embassy from Tel Aviv is U.S. recognition that Jerusalem is Israel's capital. This position, of course, has angered the Palestinians who want East Jerusalem as their own future capital. In a video address at the ceremony's opening, which Trump himself did not attend, 
Trump said the U.S. still remains fully committed to pursuing a Mideast peace deal. Trump's top diplomat, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, reiterated that goal in, in a statement calling for, quote, lasting and comprehensive peace between Israel and the Palestinians. Kushner, Trump's son-in-law and his uh, and Trump's mid- chief Mideast advisor, tasked with helping to negotiate a peace agreement between Israel and Palestinian. Good luck with that, pal. He told attendees uh, at the ceremony. As we have seen from the protests of the last month and even today, those provoking violence are part of the problem and not part of the solution. Yeah, a funny thing about that. I would think that shooting some 2,000 unarmed protesters through the border fence in Israel might be part of the problem, as Israel did today. But what do I know? I'm sure it'll uh, help bring much goodwill to those negotiations. The Trump administration in recent months also has slashed U.S. aid to the Palestinians and programs that support them. Not sure how that is seen as a goodwill and, uh, and or working us towards uh, uh, part of the solution. Critics of the embassy move, including some European officials, say the U.S. decision will only serve to exacerbate tensions and make it more difficult, more difficult for the U.S. to offer itself as a neutral party in any negotiations. The world's largest body of Muslim-majority nations, the Organization of Islamic Cooperation, they say uh, they consider the U.S. move an illegal decision and an attack on the Palestinian people. Palestinian President Mahmoud Abbas said this, quote, this is not an embassy. It is a U.S. settlement outpost in Jerusalem. The chief Palestinian negotiator is accusing the Trump administration of burying Mideast peace hopes by moving the U.S. embassy to Jerusalem, charging the U.S. and Israel have now, quote, uh, buried the peace process, burying the two-state solution, killing the hope in the minds of the people of the Middle East as a whole of the possibility of peace. That, he says, is dead. As the death toll climbed today above 50 on Monday alone, Trump took to Twitter, urging people to watch the embassy opening on television and declaring it, quote, a great day for Israel. Likewise, in a Fox News interview in Jerusalem, Treasury Secretary Steven Mnuchin did not mention the violence that was taking place at the very same time as the ceremony. Instead, he repeatedly referenced Jerusalem as the capital of Israel and said Trump should be praised for taking action to keep Americans and people in the Middle East safe. As long as they're not Palestinians. Yeah, I know. People? Which people are, are is, is he keeping safe at this point? 2,000 of them have been shot today by Israel. Also attending the ceremony was uh, Republican Senator uh, Ted Cruz of Texas. He faces a tough reelection in the uh, Lone Star State this November against the surging Democratic candidate, Congressman Beto O'Rourke. Mike Lee of Utah was there. Dean Heller of Nevada. Interestingly, Mitt Romney was not there. Dean Heller of Nevada, who also faces a very serious challenge to his incumbency against a, uh, a number of Democratic candidates vying for the nomination in Nevada, including apparent frontrunner Congresswoman, Democratic Congresswoman Jackie Rosen. Also in, in attendance was Republican Senator 
Lindsey Graham of South Carolina. Iran, of course, uh, condemned the uh, today's violence against the Palestinians. Its hardline paramilitary revolutionary guard condemned Israel's killing of Palestinians in the Gaza Strip in a statement carried by the semi-official Fars News Agency. They also strongly condemned the U.S. over moving its embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem, calling it a, quote, harsh and vicious act which could start a new wave of combating America, anger and hatred against the supporters of this vicious move beyond the region. Well, that ought to help uh, encourage Israel to come back to the negotiating table after Donald Trump on behalf of the U.S. last week while we were away. I'm sure he did it on purpose while we were away. (laughs) That'll uh, help encourage Iran to come back to the table, all of this, won't it? Uh, Over the Iran nuclear deal. Yeah, Yeah. which, which we, which the U.S., and let me make this clear for those people who haven't heard it, the U.S. has now officially violated that hard-fought and otherwise very successful anti-nuclear agreement that was struck between Iran, the U.S., France, Germany, U.K., the E.U., Russia, and China uh, under the Obama administration back in 2015. The U.S. has now violated that. We did, we haven't left it, as we, you know. I saw reported all all week. We've decided to opt out, sort of like the Paris Agreement. No, we have violated. We are in violation of that agreement. While Iran's condemnation of what happened in Israel on Monday might have been expected, it wasn't just Iran and Arabs and Muslims uh, who are condemning Israel and the U.S. today. The European Union's foreign policy chief is calling on Israel to respect, quote, the principle of proportionality in the use of force. That after Israeli soldiers shot and killed at least 41 Palestinians during mass protests along the Gaza border. The number of those killed has now reportedly risen to more than 50, according to authorities in Gaza. Let's be clear. These are Israeli soldiers firing on civilians with rocks. Civilians have the rocks. Israeli soldiers have the rifles. Have the rifles, have the tanks, have the planes, have the jets, the fighter jets that they flew over them. Uh, The folks on the Palestinian side, uh, if they were throwing rocks, they had uh, rocks and uh, kites. They lit kites on fire, reportedly, and flew those over the border. And that led to uh, Israeli soldiers shooting them to death. Uh, Federica Mogherini of the European Union, the uh, foreign policy chief there, said that uh, everyone should act, quote, with utmost restraint to avoid further loss of life and added that Israel must respect the right to peaceful protest. And it's not just the EU. The head of the U.N., says he, too, is worried about the news that uh, has been coming out from Gaza all day, quote, with the number of high number of people killed. U.N. Secretary General Antonio Guterres expressed his concern in Vienna on Monday as these clashes were taking place along the Israeli-Palestinian border and senior aides to U.S. President Donald Trump were in Jerusalem celebrating the opening of the new U.S. embassy there at the same time. Uh, Just condemnation, frankly, from all over the world, even from Russia 
who Donald Trump has been claiming he would like to improve relations with. They also blasted the embassy's move to Jerusalem, charging that it will further fuel tensions between Israel and the Palestinians. Russian uh, Deputy Foreign Minister uh, described the relocation of the embassy as, quote, short-sighted, noting in an interview uh, that the decision, quote, runs against the stance of most of the international community. He blamed the U.S. for a, quote, sharp escalation around Gaza and said the relocation of the embassy, quote, could spark large-scale confrontations between Palestinians and the Israelis and cause a rising number of casualties. And that, of course, has now happened uh, right now, as we go to air, Palestinian officials say at least 52 people have been killed in the latest round of protests there today alone. More than 2,400 Palestinian demonstrators were also wounded on Monday along the border fence with Gaza, according to the health ministry there. The protests, of course, took place uh, as the U.S. Embassy was formally relocated from Tel Aviv on the 70th anniversary of the formation of Israel. The formality and celebration created an almost surreal contrast to the violence raging barely 40 miles away, according to the New York Times. Monday became the bloodiest day since the campaign of demonstrations began seven weeks ago to protest Israel's economic blockade of Gaza. Tens of thousands of Palestinians took part in the Gaza protests which spread on Monday to the West Bank, where the focus was on opposition to the embassy move. Israeli soldiers and snipers used barrages of tear gas as well as live gunfire to keep protesters from entering Israeli territory. The Israeli military said that some in the crowds were planting or hurling explosives and that many were flying flaming kites into Israel. Oh, no, not flaming kites. Kill them. By mid-afternoon, the protest nearest to Gaza City had turned into a pitched battle, a chaotic panorama of smoke, sirens, tear gas that stretched along the fence. A spokesman for the Israeli Defense Forces, Lieutenant Colonel Jonathan Conricus, uh, cast doubt on the casualty numbers that were being reported from the Hamas-controlled health ministry in Gaza. He said a large number of those listed as wounded had suffered only tear gas inhalation. Meanwhile, at the embassy ceremony, Prime Minister, uh, Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu sounded triumphant and defiant. What a glorious day, Netanyahu said. Remember this moment. This is history. President Trump, by recognizing history, you have made history, he said. He added, we are here in Jerusalem, protected by the great soldiers of the army of Israel, and our brave soldiers are protecting the border of Israel as we speak today. Well, at least he noticed. Near Gaza City, the move toward the border fence was often led by women waving Palestinian flags. Several speakers reserved the harshest words uh, during the protest for the U.S. and its decision to move the embassy. America is the greatest Satan, said a cleric. We may die, but Palestine will live, he said, and the crowd repeated the chant. Hamas officials vowed the protest would continue. The purpose of Monday's demonstrations was to 
quote, powerfully confront the embassy deal and also draw the map of return in blood, according to the deputy chief of Hamas in Gaza. The American administration bears responsibility for all consequences following the implement, uh, implementation of this unjust decision. The deputy chief of, uh, of Hamas in Gaza said at a news conference, this crime will not pass. Sabri Saddam, the uh, Palestinian minister of education, said today is a day of sadness. It's a manifestation of the power of America. And President Trump is in upsetting the uh, Palestinian people and the people who have been awaiting the independence of Palestine for 70 years. Clashes were also reported in the West Bank, Bethlehem, Jericho, Hebron, Nablus. Israel has stirred widespread international anger over the use of lethal force against mostly unarmed Palestinian protesters, says the Times, which on Monday produced the biggest one-day toll of Palestinian, excuse me, Palestinians killed by Israelis since Israel's 2014 invasion of Gaza. Israel said its border had exercised, uh, I'm sorry, its soldiers at the border had exercised restraint and that many more protesters would die if they tried to cross into Israeli territory. But Doctors Without Borders, the international medical charity, said on Friday that it had treated more Palestinians at its Gaza clinics in the past month than they did during the 2014 conflict. And that was before the, uh, the events on Monday. Doctors Without Borders added that uh, some of the, the folks that they had treated had exit wounds from Israeli ammunition Exit wounds that were fist size. Yes. On Friday, um, a leading Israeli human rights organization, B'Tselem, uh, criticized the military's youth use of lethal force. This is an Israeli group criticizing the military's use of lethal force, saying that the demonstrations were no surprise and that Israel had plenty of time to come up with alternate approaches. The group said the fact that live gunfire is once again the sole measure that Israeli military is using in the field evinces appalling indifferences toward human life on the part of senior Israeli government and military officials, they said. But the leader of the center-left opposition in the Israeli parliament faulted Hamas for what it called self-destructive actions. The use of force by Israel on Monday included not only infantry, as uh, as noted, uh, with rifles, but also fighter jets and a tank. At least three separate squads of armed Hamas fighters, quote, tried to use the commotion and smoke and dynamics of the riots as concealment and then launched an attack on the fence, According to Colonel Conricus, a uh, spokesman for the Israeli Defense Forces, though he said the Palestinian fighters were carrying firearms, he acknowledged that there had been no reports of Israeli troops coming under gunfire. No reports. That coming from the spokesperson for the Israeli Defense Force, the Israeli army. And uh, on Tuesday, we can uh, likely expect larger protests and larger clashes. Times reports the mass protests in Gaza were expected to peak on Tuesday with an effort by thousands of people to, in fact, cross that fence despite warnings from Israel, possibly setting the stage for more bloodshed. Palestinian officials demanded international action against Israel, vowed that the demonstrations would continue. 
They said we are asking the world and especially the Arab world to intervene immediately to end the massacre of our people. That from Mahmoud Abbas, uh, president of the Palestinian Authority at a news conference in Ramallah today. The new U.S. embassy, he said, is not an embassy, but a new outpost in East Jerusalem. In New York, the Palestinian ambassador to the U.N. said his government might refer the matter to the International Criminal Court for prosecution. Good luck. He drew a direct link between the protests and the embassy celebrations in Jerusalem, saying it is uh, very tragic that they're celebrating an illegal action while Israel is killing civilians. Let them look at what is really happening in the Gaza Strip. Meanwhile, back here at home, as election season gets underway, even the Democrats who hope to take back one or both houses of Congress appear to be divided on what is going on today in Israel. Alex Seitz Wald of NBC News observed today on Twitter posting uh, conflicting statements, really, from Senators Bernie Sanders and Democratic Senator Minor- uh, Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer. Um, uh, Alex uh, wrote, uh, two Brooklyn liberal Jewish senators, they even went to the same high school, and yet they offer two different statements on today's news from Israel. Uh, In his statement, Bernie Sanders uh, said more than 50 killed in Gaza today and 2,000 wounded on top of the 41 killed and more than 9,000 wounded over the past weeks. This is a staggering toll. Hamas violence does not justify Israel firing on unarmed protesters. Imagine if, you know, as I'm hearing about this and, and, you know, these fences, these are like the the fences that we have on our border. These are not, you know, chain link fences. Imagine if U.S. soldiers began firing indiscriminately through uh, through our southern border fence on those those Central American migrants who have been. Uh, who caravaned all the way yeah. up here. They're calling it a caravan. Yeah, imagine if if our U.S. soldiers were firing, as you said, indiscriminately on civilians. And shooting 2,000 of them and killing more than 50 of them. Imagine if the U.S. Army did that during unarmed protests or something from the other side, firing through the fence. I'd like to think there would be not just worldwide investigations, but investigations here in Congress, charges brought over the next year, international condemnation for something so outrageous. Uh, such as it is, the story of those killed and wounded today in Palace, uh, Palestinian territories will be all but gone, I suspect, by week's end, unless another all-out war breaks out by then, which is... Much more likely than it was before. Yep. So uh, Sanders condemned, Senator Sanders condemned. Meanwhile, Senator Chuck Schumer, Democrat from New York, who... As uh, Alex Seitz-Waltz said, went to the same school, grew up uh, both uh, liberal Jews from Brooklyn. Schumer called the move of the embassy, quote, long overdue. Every nation, he said, should have the right to choose its capital. I sponsored legislation to do this two decades ago, and I applaud President Trump for doing it. No matter who dies, no matter how much conflagration it triggers, no matter how little peace is actually achieved, or can now be achieved with uh, this poke in the eye to the world community. Uh, poke in the eye is a very nice way to put it. But yeah, Schumer, uh, he's, you know, he's the Senate leader of the Democrats applauding President Trump for this. 
And in theory, Schumer, you know, would become the majority leader for the Democrats if they can regain the Senate this November. That remains a big if at this point, particularly given our woeful U.S. electoral system about which I've got a lot of news that I want to try to get to. Coming up next on the Bradcast, I'm Brad Friedman. Hey, this is Brad. Just a quick thanks to those of you who stopped by bradblog.com slash donate to help Desi Doyen and I stay on your public airwaves. You're the only thing that keeps us on those public airwaves. We don't rely on uh, corporate support or political support. We rely on you and your support is needed now more than ever at bradblog.com slash donate. Thank you. I see what you did there. <laughs> a Virginia joke. We got a Virginia story uh, coming up. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Um, okay. Yeah, actually, there was uh, quite a few uh, stories. We'll see how many I can get to here today about elections that I've been trying to, I wanted to cover that uh, happened, some of them, while we were out. This one, uh, longtime listeners may recall, I always warn Des, you've been here. You can attest to this. I always warn on the day after elections that we often don't find out about problems in the elections. Oh, yeah. Until days or weeks, sometimes uh, even months, sometimes even years after the elections, the way we run our elections. They're so non-transparent that it really takes a while for the public to figure out what, if anything, went wrong in these elections. Well, we've got a a couple of those cases I'll try to get to today. Let's start here. Uh, Remember the elections? We covered it very closely on this show last November. So November of 2017, Virginia holds its its state house elections in off years. So in uh, 2017, the Virginia State House of Delegates the entire state house was on the ballot last uh, last November, and we had this blue wave, which resulted in uh, 15 long-held Republican seats being flipped to Democrats, almost resulting in a takeover by the Democrats of the state house for the first time in years. This was last November. Remember this, and one race in particular. So they took over. Ultimately, 15 seats from Republicans, but one race in particular resulted in a tie. It was literally a tie vote. At least that's what was determined uh, ultimately by the judges. So that then resulted in a random drawing out of a bowl to determine the winner of that delegate race. Remember that? It was so insane that they were going to decide the lives of people on pulling a a little piece of paper out of a hat. If there's a tie vote, that's how you got to do it. That, a coin flip, something like that. The Republican ended up winning that random drawing uh, pulled out of the bowl, which meant that the GO was therefore able to hold control of the Virginia House of Delegates by the slimmest of slim margins, 51 to 49 in the uh, House of Delegates, rather than a 50-50 split, which would have meant a power share between Republicans and Democrats, uh, and perhaps health care to hundreds of thousands of Virginians for whom the, the state GOP has been blocking the expansion of Medicaid under the Affordable Care Act. 
Well, now it appears that that tied race should not have been a tie at all. Last year's race, this from the Washington Post, for uh, state delegate in Newport News, Virginia, went down in Virginia history for its razor-thin margin. Republican David Yancey had won on Election Day by just 10 votes on Election Day itself, but then Democrat Shelley Simons ended up beating him by one single vote in the recount that happened thereafter. But then... A judicial panel declared it a tie, not a one-vote victory for the Democrats after all. They declared it a tie after uh, one of the Republican recount judges decided that one ballot should have actually been rec- have been recorded as a Republican vote rather than an overvote, which was originally thrown out that one ballot. All of the recount judges had originally determined that it had been an overvote, that at least before the numbers showed that the Democrats ended up winning by one single vote. And then magically they changed their minds. This one Republican, you know what, that that one ballot we threw, I'm not sure. So they, uh, they went to court and they were able to convince the judges to agree to put that ballot back in there. That resulted in the tie and then the ultimate winner was pulled out of a bowl to determine the winner and it was the Republican. Yancey. So now, however, as Washington Post reports over the weekend, a review of voter registration records and district maps carried out by the Washington Post has found more than two dozen voters enough to swing the outcome of that race. More than two dozen voters cast ballots in the wrong district because of errors by local election officials. The misaligned I'm sorry, misassigned voters lived in a predominantly African-American precinct that had heavily favored Democrats in the fall, raising the possibility that they would likely have delivered the district to Simons had they been allowed to vote in the proper race. The impacts of a uh, a Simons win, Democratic win there, would have been felt far beyond Newport News. They note it would have upended the balance of power in the House of Delegates. It would have split the chamber down the middle 50-50. The November electoral mix-up was one of many scattered throughout the state. The Post found about 6,000 registered Virginia voters were placed in the wrong state legislative district. Almost 2,600 of those misplaced voters had, in fact, cast ballots last November, according to the Post's analysis. The frustration, of course, was double for state Democratic officials. They contend that voter misassignments may have also cost them another race, uh, another House of Delegates race in the Fredericksburg area last year. Democrats could have forced the GOP to share power in the chamber had they picked up either either of these two, either the Newport News race or the Fredericksburg race. Uh, Had they won both of them, as it now appears more uh, clear that they should have, uh, they would have taken outright control of both of those chambers. A spokesman for the Democratic Party of Virginia uh, said that we are dismayed and concerned that Newport News voters in um, House District 94 may have been unable to select their representative to the Virginia House of Delegates. Not only is voter disenfranchise unacceptable in any form, this possible error along with misallocation of hundreds of, vo- of Fredericksburg voters in the razor-thin HD28 contest may have affected the balance of power in the Virginia House. I think it's clear that it did. A spokesperson for the Republican Party of Virginia blamed Democrats for this error. 
They, in fact, have controlled the State Department of Elections and local electoral boards across the state under the current, now current Governor Ralph Northam, who won in uh, last November, and his predecessor, Terry McAuliffe, also a Democrat. But Brian Cannon, executive director of the redistricting reform group One Virginia 2021, he doesn't fault the registrars here, but the legislators, be legislators, because he says the 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 state has been so highly gerrymandered that political maps fracture communities uh, for political advantage, not for administrative ease. And that is apparently what uh, ended up costing uh, these 26 voters who were misassigned. Uh, their right to vote in this particular election. For their actual representative in their actual district versus the one that they were mistakenly assigned to. Uh, Cannon says uh, they're asking registrars to perform a high wire act. It's a near impossible task. Even if you get it right 99.9% of the time, it's really not good enough for those 26 voters who ended up voting in the wrong election. The Newport News registration errors affected seven apartment buildings that were built in 2016 this is in a fast growing area. In, in maps that were drawn according to district boundaries uh, spelled out in state code, the apartment buildings are located inside the 94th House District. But the Newport News Registrar's Office mistakenly placed them in the adjacent 93rd District. Apparently what happened here is these apartment buildings weren't built when they originally drew these lines and were going you know, street by street, sometimes going straight down the middle of the street. Uh, to, to, to make these gerrymandered districts. And so it appears to be an accident. Um, but it's an accident that costs not just this one race, but the entire balance of power in the state of Virginia and health care for hundreds of thousands of people. These errors, by the way, remained in the system until the Post inquired about them just one week ago. We knew about the Fredericksburg race and we knew that there was this was an incredibly close race in Fredericksburg where 147 people voted in the wrong race because local registration records placed them in the wrong district. In that in that case, the Republican there also won by 73 votes. So you had. 73 vote victory in that one with 147 people voting in the wrong race. They were, again, assigned to a district next door where the Democrats did very well. They didn't need these people. But they sure needed them in the Fredericksburg race and definitely in the Newport News race, which was ultimately determined to be a tie. In this case, uh, the uh, Post reports that ballots uh, are secret. Virginia does not register voters by party, so we can't know for sure. But records suggest that 17 of those 26 people who live in the 94th district but were misassigned, 17 of those people had voted in exclusively since 2008 in one or more Democratic primaries. So they were likely to vote Democratic here as well. Only one of the 26 had voted in Republican primaries. Records for the remaining eight did not show primary participation. So I suspect, uh, you know, folks may want to blame someone for that. It would be easy to you know, charge that the election officials there did that on purpose. We have no evidence of that, at least as of now, uh, that it was done on purpose. So, you know, I don't blame anybody, really, unless there is 
evidence to support it, and we don't yet have such evidence. But uh, speaking of misassigning blame here, uh, do I have time for this? Yeah, let me do this. The, the election in Knox County that we talked about, so that one, the, the one in Virginia, that was back in November. We're just learning right. this now. Two weeks ago, before we went on our, our break there, uh, we had an election in Knox County, Tennessee, that we talked about in which the election night reporting system went down just after the polls had closed. The reporting system that people look at on the web to find out who won and who lost. And um, everyone said at the time, oh, no votes were changed. It was just the election night reporting system that was knocked out for some reason. But it didn't affect results, so don't worry. Well, we still don't know if results were affected. That's largely because Knox County uses 100% unverifiable direct recording electronic uh, systems. They're not touchscreen systems. They have a little knob on them that controls the screen, but they produce no paper ballot, no paper trail, no nothing. Well, we've learned a little bit more about what appears to have happened that night in Knox County, Knox County, Tennessee. As TPM notes, um, their headline, Ukraine computer involved in Tennessee elections attack. Investigators found evidence of a, quote, malicious intrusion into a Tennessee County's election website from a computer in Ukraine during a uh, concerted cyber attack, which likely caused the site to crash as it was reporting vote totals in this month's primary. Cybersecurity experts hired by Knox County to analyze the so-called denial of service cyber attack said Friday that a suspiciously large number of foreign countries accessed the site as votes were being reported on May 1. That intense activity was among the likely causes of the website crash, according to a report by Sword and Shield Enterprise Security, who was brought on to do this forensic investigation. David Ball, the county's deputy director of information technology, uh, added in an email to the Associated Press that, uh, quote, given the circumstantial evidence, especially the simultaneous proven malicious intrusion from a Ukraine IP address, I think it is reasonable to at least hypothesize that it was an intended event. County officials said no voting data was affected. How they know that is unclear, but the site was down for an hour after the polls closed, causing confusion before technicians fixed the problem. The vulnerability identified by Sword and Shield has been fixed, they say, and additional safeguards are now in place, according to Ball. They say. <laughs> they say. And uh, the election results uh, to be officially certified later this month left Glenn Jacobs, also known as the pro wrestler Kane, left him ahead by 17 votes in the Republican primary for Knox County's mayor. And yet they're saying no votes were were altered, even though we have no idea because they are 100 percent unverifiable uh, electronic systems that they use there for the votes. But in any event, uh, wow, Ukraine, that sure sounds Russian-y, doesn't it? Uh, those dastardly Russians again is what I took away from the headline here, trying to mess with our elections, potentially making a, a test run before the November primary, uh, November uh, the, the midterms. Well, it could be that. It could also be those dastardly Canadians 
According to Knox News, which offers more details on the actual report from the uh, Sword and Shield Group, a surge of traffic from 65 foreign countries, including Albania, Taiwan, Ukraine, and New Zealand, helped to crash that Knox County Election Commission website in a direct attack, according to the security firm's report. Such an attack could only have been deliberate, aimed at a specific weak point on the server on the uh, web servers. They recommended, Sword and Shield did, recommended further testing to determine whether such an assault could crash the server again. And of course it could. Knox County is not alone. We have these systems all over the country. The uh, Knox County information uh, IT guy, uh, they, they well, the staffers performed the test this week and they believe they have plugged the hole, according to the IT director, David Ball. Officials have described the, cy- the cyber assaults as a, de- a distributed denial of service attack, DOS attack, disabling the website. Ball said it's like someone knocking on your door and then logging uh, and then running away before you answer. But an analysis of the server's error logs and the traffic that night found signs that went beyond the basic element of a typical denial of service attack. Hackers, bots, and the usual cast of dark web villains routinely probe firewalls for weak spots. But technicians found, quote, an active attempt to exploit the server's database. The effect uh, was that loss of service, but it is unclear with the information provided if the outage was intended, uh, an intended event or the side effect of a separate event. You'll recall, uh, if you heard the show when we talked about this originally, Candace Hoke, a longtime election integrity and cybersecurity advocate, noted when the initial uh, news broke about this attack that uh, this type of attack is often meant to distract from something else going on. So all the people saying that, oh, no, uh, vote totals were affected here, we can't know that. We can't even know how one vote, uh, you know, if, if even one vote was recorded as intended because of the type of voting systems that Knox County uses. Uh, you know, unless there is a some sort of a deep, deep forensic investigation of every single voting machine, every single memory card, every single tabulator. But as far as those news articles who cited these uh, scary Ukraine slash Russian attacks in their coverage. Well, the Internet Protocol address, the IP address, which is a unique number that identifies uh, who is trying to get at the the, the web system. Um, those IP addresses uh, tied the cyber attack to every continent but Antarctica, not just Ukraine, not just Russia. Technicians traced two of the direct attacks on uh, on the server to addresses in Great Britain hmm. and the Ukraine. Russia, yes, made the list. They knocked on the door, so to speak, 95 times, but they only came in 24th place in the list, far behind Canada with more than 6,000 requests for access. The UK had more than 2,000 pings. Chile had 1,500 and uh, tons and tons of other countries. Investigators say it's impossible to prove where the so-called denial-of-service attack originated from since the county can't store all of the packet data that would be needed to identify the source. 
The effect was clearly a loss of service, but we don't know where it originated. Ball said uh, the bottom line is there was a proven malicious attack from a foreign source occurring simultaneous with, uh, simultaneously with an apparent deliberate DOS attack. But who knows? Election security experts have raised concerns that foreign state actors could use such an attack to erode public confidence in the democratic process. Projects like Defend Digital Democracy, um, who is this? Uh, TPM notes at Harvard University have been urging election officials across the country to prepare for exactly this type of scenario. So have we, as you might have heard. For a little while. For about 15 years. Yeah. Uh, Richard Moran, the county's information and tech senior director, said that while the heavy traffic came from overseas servers, it does not mean that the attacker was in a foreign country. Thank you for noticing, Richard. Dan Wallach, we believe we've had on the show over the years, a computer scientist at uh, uh, Rice University, notes that what attackers uh, will do is they'll break into other computers and then launch their attacks from there. The report said the website received requests for access from about 100 different countries all over the world. And yes, the attacks could therefore be coming from the U.S. itself. Those election officials, it could be coming as a, as a denial of service attack or from election officials themselves. Those election officials, those private contractors who service these systems, as is often overlooked, they have the most direct access to manipulation of election results. Despite the newfound concerns about foreign hackers over the past two years, when we've been warning about both such possibilities for about 15 years, I mean, I suppose I should be happy that 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 folks, uh, you know, after election officials and elected elected officials spent years claiming that these systems were unhackable. They used to tell us constantly over the years. Go look at Bradblog.com. So I should be happy now that these folks are finally noticing that they are not unhackable. Unfortunately, it seems like they are still wildly underappreciating just how vulnerable these systems are to foreigners and domestic bad actors alike. All of whom have little or no chance of getting caught or even if they do, not being able to do anything about it once the problems have been discovered. Like in that Virginia case we talked about, which was only discovered long after election night. It's another argument as to why we've got to get it right on election night. And so far, the only way I've found to do that is with hand-marked paper ballots hand-counted at the polling place on election night before ballots are moved anywhere. I guess I'll just have to keep saying that over and over again until someone notices. The U.S. Senate Intelligence Committee last week seems to have noticed a little bit. But we ain't got no time to talk about their report today. We'll try to get to that later this week. All right, a quick break, and we're back with uh, our closing few minutes. <laughs> Trying to catch up with an entire week in one day. I'm sure that'll work. Our closing few minutes uh, right after this. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your Bradcast. <laughs> Hey, this is Brad. If you haven't noticed by now, it's no easy feat finding facts, real facts, not alternative facts, over your public airwaves. We try to bring you real facts, truth, and clarity without fear or favor each and every day on the broadcast. 
but we need your help to do it. If you enjoy the show and or get something from it, please give back a bit, if you can, by visiting us at bradblog.com donate. Your support helps Desi and me continue to bring you real, independent, progressive news five days a week over your public airwaves. We simply can't do it without your help, and that help is needed more now than ever. Please stop by bradblog.com donate today to make a one-time donation or, even better, automated monthly support. It'll take you about 60 seconds, and you can rest easy knowing that we'll be here every day making sense of it all, or at least trying to. That's bradblog.com donate, and thanks. You know what? I'm not even back one day. I'm already running late, Desi Doyle. <laughs> On my know. first day out, didn't get to the Kilauea volcano. Uh, so very quickly, has that uh, blown up yet? Are no, okay? it has not. Good news is, though, that uh, President Trump has declared a state of emergency, so that will free up federal funds to help state and local governments to deal with this ongoing a slow moving but ongoing disaster. Uh, yeah, and at least it's slow moving for now. I suppose for if now. this whole thing blows, and that's one of the concerns uh, on this Hawaiian volcano that the entire thing could just uh, blow again, go crazy. We will keep our eyes on that. Uh, let me get out here with uh, some email from Barbara P. in Washington, D.C. Uh, she sent in a uh, donation while we were gone to help us uh, fill our Prius tank, as I like to say at uh, bradblog.com slash donate. I sent her a quick email to say thanks. She writes back uh, today from Washington, D.C. to say, Brad, good morning. Looking forward to hearing you and my girl, (laughs) Desi, tonight. That would be you, girl, G-U-U-R-L. That's awesome. Uh, She says, Angie Coiro, who filled in for us last week, is super. I sent her a thank you. I'm happy to receive your personal thank you, but for real, Brad, without you... Desi and Ian Masters, background briefing colleague of ours here yeah. at uh, KPFK. He comes, uh, his show comes on every day after hours. Uh, he says, without you, Desi, Ian Masters, I'd know nothing of relevance. Read the politics of this country whose empire is crumbling. And she adds, as a 60 plus year old black woman, I'm okay with being collateral damage if it ensures my grandchildren and other children and young adults can thrive and enjoy a more peaceful world. She adds one love, brother, Barbara P. in Washington, D.C. Well, Barbara P., I am not okay with uh, you being collateral damage or anyone else. So this fight will continue uh, as long as we have folks like you uh, supporting us, supporting our work at bradblog.com slash donate. You... And anyone else who stops by are the only thing keeping us right now on your public airwaves. So thank you very much. Got to get out? You got a thought? Yeah, just as you always say, the world ain't going to save itself and we can all do it together. We got no choice. One love. All right. My thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen. Once again, to Angie Coiro for filling in for us last week. If you missed any portion of today's show or any other Bradcast, download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. Drop me email yourself if you like. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. And on the Facebooks and the Twitters, find us, follow us, and share us worldwide. I am simply the Brad blog there. That's it. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. One love.
children crying. 